Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our total dependence upon you. And we acknowledge in this moment that we need the Holy Spirit, the author of the book, to open up the ancient words to us. We come with hungry hearts. Fill us, O Lord, and we shall be satisfied. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Sam was a uh, constant worrier, a chronic worrier. So he finally decided the best way to handle this predicament was to pay someone to worry for him. <laughs> One of his friends said, Sam, how much do you have to pay? He said, I'm paying $1,000 a day for this guy to worry for me. He said, Sam, where are you going to get that kind of money? He said, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> That's his job. <laughs> Now that's probably an apocryphal story and you and I don't pay God to worry for us but since he's in control we don't have to do it. We've got someone to do that for us and yet how often do we try to control our own situations and worry through life navigating the difficult turns and uh, the difficult challenges thinking that we have the power to do it. If anyone could uh, perhaps be justified in worrying, I think it might be the Apostle Paul. We've been going through 2 Thessalonians, which is the last letter that Paul wrote before he was executed in Rome. Here he is in a dank Roman prison. It's dark. It's disgusting. And he's pretty convinced that his life is being poured out like a drink offering and the time of his departure is about here. That's what he says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And so he writes this last epistle to his, uh, to his, men his mentee, his uh, protege, his young disciple, the one that he was able to bring to Christ and give him the best wisdom he can because Timothy has got to take over. Now please understand that this is a really tough time for Christianity. Christianity is on the brink of elimination. Think of a retail store in a dying mall. It's like it's, it's on the way out and there's little hope to revive it. Rome, its society is filled with immorality the place is corrupt. And all the advances of the gospel seem to be attacked or retreating. And Paul is writing to Timothy who is known for his timidity. <laughs> Carry on, Timothy. And Timothy says, well, I'll give it some thought. Paul says, no. Chapter 1, he tells Timothy, you need to fan the flame of the gift of God that is in you. I was there when I laid my hands on you, and it was recognized that you have been called and gifted for this position. Timothy, God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Timothy, join me in suffering for the gospel. Don't be ashamed to testify of the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner of the gospel. Timothy, it's time to man up. In chapter 2, 
He says, stand strong in the grace that God has given to you. And then he says, endure hardness like a shoulder sh soldier. It's time to endure. And those who endure with him will also reign with him. To make matters worse, Timothy, all around you are these false teachers. Their teaching is like gangrene. They're doing all they can to destroy the good seed of the gospel that is out there. And in subtle ways, and sometimes not so subtle ways, they are leading people astray and bringing their faith to a shipwreck. These are terrible times, Timothy, Paul says in chapter 3. In these last days, people are lovers of themselves more than they are lovers of God. They're more concerned about gaining money than they are about glorifying God. And these are the people in the pulpits of our land. These are the religious leaders. Timothy, these are tough days. How is he going to get through? How can he cope? As we sang a moment ago, it's through the faithful, wonderful word of God. Let me draw your attention once again to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We dealt with some of these things last week, but I wanted to visit them again to uh, perhaps explain a few other things and venture in a little bit deeper on some of the concepts that Paul is giving to Timothy. So when we open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, as Cam read so well a moment ago, we have that little phrase, but as for you, used six times in this little letter, and it is a, a phrase of contrast. This is the way things are, but as for you. This is what is happening, but as for you, you be different. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have be become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from childhood or infancy, before you could even speak, you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Timothy, remember this, all scripture is God-breathed. And therefore useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you, Timothy, the servant of God, or perhaps more literally the man of God, may, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. J.I. Packer once said, if I were the devil, my first aim would be to keep people from digging into their Bibles. The devil's not really upset about religion as long as he's in control. He's not really upset about uh, our practices and rituals if God is not in them. He's fine with a spirituality that dominates the world as long as it's not based on the clear teaching of Scripture. But when we open up our Bibles and get on our knees, the devil trembles. Skeptics question the authority of the Bible. Liberals dispute all of its miracles. The revisionists try to change its message. The cultists twist its meaning. And get this, believers doubt its sufficiency. <laughs> we just throw ourselves in with the rest of the gang that all question whether this book can really pull it off 
to get me through these hard times. Where I'm here to tell you based on the authority of this book, it can. It's that powerful. So let's revisit just for a moment the personality of the word of God. Uh, that's what Paul wants Timothy to be aware of. Verse 15 and 16. The first thing he says uh, that we need to emphasize is verse 16. That all scripture is God breathed. That's a wonderful translation in the New International. All scripture is God breathed. That's exactly what the scripture uh, says. The original. In Genesis chapter 2. God breathed into a lifeless body made of dust. And man became what? A living soul. God breathed out his precious word and the Bible became a living book. Hebrews chapter 4 says this book is alive and powerful and it's quick and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the scriptures you and I hold in our hands. It has amazing power. And that's why we need to give ourselves to it and that's why the devil is afraid of it. God breathed. So that talks about the origin. That talks about the source. It's not man-made. It's God-made. Holy men of God spake and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of this book. And because he is the author of the book, the book is holy. That's another important part of its personality. It's a holy book. Look at verse 15. You knew the Holy Scriptures, Timothy, even when you were a child. Your mother, your grandmother taught them to you. And this idea means that the Bible is set apart. It's sacred. The product of God, anything that God would produce, must be holy and sacred and good. And it's the Holy Scriptures that make holy people. You know, sometimes we just take the Bible for granted. We really do. I don't know how many copies I have of the Bible. I'm afraid to count them because I would be embarrassed. Because when you travel, as Pastor Doug and the team did to Indonesia, you'll find people who don't have a Bible at all. In fact, I remember in Russia, they used to gather together as a church and they had one copy of the Bible, so they ripped every page out of it. You say, wow, that's desecrating the book. No, they would give a page to a different member and the member had that page for a week and they would memorize it and come back and exchange pages. Precious book. We throw our Bibles on the floor. We, you know, if we're carrying other books that may be on the bottom, we're drinking coffee and set it on our Bible. It's just another book. Now, there, there's nothing holy about the, the leather, the faux leather, and uh, the, the real pages and ink in this book. But there's something amazing about its message. And we need to respect it. And because it comes from the mouth of God, by the way, the Holy Spirit is often depicted as the wind or the breath of God. So the word of God is breathed out of God's mouth. It's recorded by men who were, the, the Bible was revealed to them. They preached it. They wrote it down. And because of that, it's holy and useful. It's beneficial. 
It can accomplish amazing things because of its power. Do you ever think of this? The Bible is true. I mean true truth without qualification because it comes from God. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that God is the God of truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is the way, the truth, in the life. In 1 John chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of truth. No wonder Jesus said, thy word is truth. And that's the way we grow. We're sanctified. The Bible is useful to convert us and the Bible is useful to change us. It has amazing power. So we sing that song, Holy Bible, Book Divine, Precious Treasure, Thou Art Mine. Mine to tell me whence I came, mine to teach me whose I am. I don't know if that last line is right. I changed it because I didn't like the original one. <laughs> Grammatically, let me know if that's right. But the point is, the Bible teaches us where I came from, where I'm going, and who I belong to. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. So because of the personality of the scripture, the nature, character, because it is God-breathed, we go then to the profitability of the scripture, the usefulness of the scripture. That is, there are benefits that come. And the first one we talked a little bit about last week is eternal salvation. That's verse 15. This book is able to make you wise, knowledgeable, informed in fact you will never discover the way to God outside of this book you cannot think it up you cannot meditate or experience or come to some conclusion without divine revelation God is unknown and would have always been unknown except he in love revealed himself the revelation is in this book and so it shows us the path to salvation. By the way, the path to salvation is through Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the Bible being profitable, we mean it's effective. It's successful. It's efficacious. Someone came up after the service last week and said, here's a good word for you, efficacious. And that means effective. It does what it intends to do. So it maps out for us, it portrays for us the way of salvation. And it's through Christ. Christ in the Old Testament is shadowed in the types and sacrifices. And in the New Testament, he's revealed in the Gospels and explained in the epistles. And the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, tells us Jesus is coming again. It's all about Christ because salvation comes by faith through Christ. That's what it says in verse 15. Not only does this book show us the way for eternal salvation, but it has the power for life transformation. That's what makes it profitable. The holy book making holy lives. Warren Wiersbe had this famous saying, he said, when the child of God looks into the word of God and sees the son of God, he is changed by the spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. Now, I don't know if he came up with that. I think he quoted a lot of things that he just gleaned from others. 
He was always quick to give credit where credit was due, but when you study like he did, sometimes those quotes become you, and it's hard to know what came from someone else. Let me read it again. It's so good. When the child of God, I hope that's you, looks into the word of God, he sees the son of God. And when he sees the Son of God, he is transformed or changed by the Holy Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. And this book has the power to change who you are. And that's why we read in verse 16, this God-breathed word of God is useful or it is profitable. And it can teach you and rebuke you. That's the idea of a message. That's the idea of concepts. And then it can correct the way you live, your behavior, and train the way you should live. That's conduct. So for both creed and conduct, the first two dealing with our creed, the second dealing with our conduct, the Bible is useful to Utterly transform your life. So stop complaining about the fact that you're not changing if you're not spending time in this precious book. It is your life. Dawson Trotman is the one who took Job's words from Job 23. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so he came up with this simple principle. No Bible, no breakfast. Try that one this week. Just do it for a week. No Bible, no breakfast. Because he wanted to feed on the word of God and show that he esteemed this as more important than even human things. John Bunyan is the one who said either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Wow. So if I've not been coming to the word of God on a regular basis, what's the problem? Sin. Selfishness. And if I get into this book and try to follow it and live it, it will protect me. So how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hid in my heart so that I might not. Either this book will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from this book. And then I love the quote from Vance Havner who said, a person who has a Bible that is falling apart usually have a, has a life that isn't. The Bible's profitable to change us. But then let's add one more. And we just said this briefly last week, but we didn't go into any detail. This book is profitable for ministry preparation. And that's verse 17, ministry preparation. So here you have the idea that the man of God, and actually the Greek word there that is translated in the NIV is not servant, doulos, but it is anthropos, man. Now in this age of wanting to be gender neutral, and I appreciate it, certainly, because there are some places where the word man means all of mankind, and it can be misleading. But to actually put another word in there is an interesting choice. But the Greek word is anthropos, which means mankind. So why not put everyone? 
So it seems like this phrase, man of God, is meant to be a generic term for anyone who is a follower of God, thus the translation servant of God. It's the idea that there is a message here for everyone and not just for preachers. Indeed, Paul may be talking specifically to Timothy, and he calls Timothy a man of God. That was a uh, a very, very important, uh, respectful title for any spokesman who proclaimed the word of God like Moses and Elijah and David are all called a man of God. But here the point is not exclusively to someone who preaches. It is someone who proclaims or shares or lives the word of God. Although the context refers to the man of God and maybe in particular to Timothy, the title also aptly applies to every one of us, a follower of God. And this book, the scripture says, the Bible, can make the person of God fully furnished, is the old translation, and it's a good one, thoroughly equipped, is the NIV, and that's a good one, because it's actually a difficult portion of scripture to translate. There are two Greek words that come from the same root, and it means complete and really complete. So it's kind of like the idea that the first word, which is only used here, by the way, in the Greek New Testament, means adequate. Now, I think of the word adequate as just enough, right? Do you have enough money for your trip? It's adequate. But the word adequate here means more than enough. It has the idea of abundance, not just barely enough. It's the idea of sufficient. And it also carries the idea of fresh. So that the servant of God will be fresh. I like that. Pastors who don't live in their Bibles lose freshness. I love to sit under a teacher who is constantly drinking in new information. Constantly taking in new truth. Because then they've got something to say. It's not the same old stuff. Now there's a sense in which we're always preaching the same message, but we want to be digging deeper and to be fresh. And then the second word is really complete or totally outfitted. It's like someone going on a journey and they go to the store and they get all the equipment they need for that journey. They're totally outfitted for the life that they're about to uh, engage in. Able to meet all its demands. I was reading David McCullough's book on John Adams and when John Adams was in the Continental Congress during the war he was sent in the dead of winter on his very first trip in a ship over the seas to Paris to try to gain help for the fledgling colonies and they actually used the term that they outfitted and thoroughly equipped the ship for several months of life at sea because that's how long it took to get over there at least three months, and that's if the weather was fine. But the ship, totally equipped. 
What it means is that as Christians, we have what we need in the Bible to do all the good works that God has called us to do. It's not that we can't learn from some other disciplines in life. We're just too dependent upon them. We think the church, to go forward in the 21st century, has to discard all of the methods of the past. But I tell you, my friend, the way to build the church of Jesus is to use his word and to be on our faces before him in prayer. And it should never change because this Bible is sufficient. It is universally profitable because it is divinely inspired. Again, quoting from J.I. Packer, he said, The outside observer looking at the church sees us staggering on from gimmick to gimmick and from stunt to stunt like so many drunks in a fog, not knowing at all where we are or which way we're going. The preaching is hazy, heads are muddled, Hearts fret, doubts drain our strength, uncertainty paralyzes our activity. Unlike the first Christians who in the first three centuries won the Roman Empire to Christ, unlike the believers who later pioneered, pioneered the Reformation or the evangelical revival that birthed our own nation, or the great missionary movement of the 19th century, we lack certainty. Because we don't know the book. Having a form of godliness, but often denying the power thereof. So if we are going to serve our Lord faithfully, we need to take in the word of God and be prepared. So we, we have daily vacation Bible school coming up. This is a fantastic thing. Uh, it's the highlight of the life of South Church. One of the, one of the great things that we do every year Pray that God's word will touch young hearts, that seeds will be sown. We don't want to manipulate. We don't want to force. We don't want to create situations where little kids make decisions they don't understand. But I tell you this, the Bible is powerful and can save the lives of little kids. And they're going to have a lot of fun and do a lot of stupid things. <laughs> but the word of God is going to go forth. Because that's what brings people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And no wonder we get into chapter 4 and Paul now says, I'm about done, Timothy, in the presence of God. Isn't that a great statement? We live our lives in the presence of God. The God who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his soon appearing. In chapter 1, he talked about Jesus appearing the first time now, in chapter 4, he's talking about Jesus appearing the second time. We live between the two advents. What are we to do until he comes again? Well, Timothy, I give you this charge. Why don't you preach the word? <laughs> I mean, if it is indeed God's word, and it's so useful to do all the things that need to be done, preach it. Teach it. Let it do its work. And the amazing thing is, the Word of God is powerful enough to transform us. Clarence Hall was a war correspondent during World War II. He later became the senior editor of the Reader's Digest. 
And in November of 1960, wrote some of his experiences as a war correspondent. He says, the one that stands out the most in my mind is the day I was marching with the troops through Okinawa. The bloody battle had just been finished and they were in a mopping up operation. And they came upon an obscure village in Okinawa with only a few hundred people. And what they saw literally shocked them. Thirty years before, an American missionary on his way to Japan stopped for a brief visit on the island of Okinawa and was in this little village, Shimabuku. In Shimabuku, he was there just long enough to win two people to Christ, brothers, and give them a Bible and leave. That was 30 years before the army came through. They had no contact with any believers through the 30 years. Soshi, Kina, and his brother Mojan began to pick their way through the Bible as best they could, and they decided they would pattern their lives after Jesus as closely as possible. They taught the others in the village, and soon almost everyone in the village became a believer in Jesus. The whole village met every day for Bible reading. They were literally transformed. Pagan practices vanished. Christian principles were established. And now 30 years later, the army is marching through and they come to the edge of this little village and they stop dead in their tracks for those two old men, Soshi and Mojan, met them at the outskirts of the village with a Bible. They welcomed the American soldiers as Christians because after all, the only Americans they knew were Christians. They thought they were all Christians and they welcomed them in the name of God. And the soldiers were dumbfounded. They quickly called for their chaplain. We don't know what to do. Intelligence officers came. This village was spotless, prosperous. There was a high level of health and happiness. Nothing they had seen anywhere else could compare with Shimabuku. Now, the two men, observing their amazement, took it for disappointment. And they said, oh, sirs, we are so sorry. We're a backward people. We did the very best we could in reading the Bible and trying to follow Jesus. But could you teach us more? Could you help us to be more faithful? <laughs> Clarence Hall said, I have never thought about the benefits of the Bible more than I did that day in that tiny village that was transformed by the power of Scripture. There was an old rough army sergeant who walked through the village taking it all in with Clarence Hall. And, and the army sergeant said, I don't get it. I can't figure it out. Two old guys with a Bible trying to live like Jesus. Maybe we've been using the wrong kind of weapons to change the world <laughs> all along. The Bible. Unbelievable power. If we could plunge to the depths of truth and grasp the whole rich story, our souls would rise to paradise enraptured by its glory. For boundless wealth lies in this book, peculiar as a treasure. Its brilliant rays shine on our ways, blessing us without measure. 
O book sublime, O word divine, O wisdom so transcending, we look to thee, we cling to thee for guiding light unending. The Bible. Let's pray. Lord, I want my life transformed like Shimabuku. I want your wonderful, powerful truth to cause me to grow in holiness, to teach me what I ought to believe, to rebuke me when I embrace error, to correct me when my behavior is wrong and to train me in what is doing right and to outfit me for every good work you've called me to do. Lord, give us a new, fresh love for our scriptures. Not just to read them and know them, but to embrace them and do them. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open to hymn 269 in your hymn book. Hymn 269 and... As you're doing that, I just want to encourage you, as Pastor Don referred to VBS, register your kids. If you have kids that are interested in VBS, we'd love for them to be a part of it. And soon after, Impact Lansing is coming, and so you can register your junior hires for that uh, missions camp. So I encourage you to part them to participate. I wanted to announce that we have a King's Brass concert coming up on July 28th, and so we encourage you to, to participate with that. And to save the date, if you're a man and like to be a part of the men's huddle this year, it's coming up. There should be a slide for that, but I see we have no slide operator. So, uh, okay, there it is. They arose. October 10 through 12. So I encourage you to, do, to uh, plug into that, mark your calendars. If you have something that Pastor Don has said or something that's gone on in the service, we always have prayer partners after the service is over. And we encourage you to come up after the service and uh, pray with them. Let's stand together. Hymn 269. Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We praise you. Help us to line our lives up with you and your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.